0: the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Haaland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg...
1: Hooker show a presentation of off the hook sports objective insight expertise top guest available on YouTube Apple Spotify and the off the hook sports app download now for free also available on off the hook sports.com I compute and obey now to Dave Hooker ready Let's go. What a weekend
3: as we've got some news on the ongoing investigation with Tennessee and the NCAA, i.e. Jeremy Pruitt. Also, talk a little bit of Grant Williams as he was named VP of the Players Union. Where does he rank among the all-time best? And some unknown balls out of left field because it looked like I won the NBA slam dunk contest. The guy had similar ability, looked goofy like me. So there we go. Tennessee picks up a commitment, and Marcus Gordy Jr. will discuss him. So there is a lot going on today, but as you might imagine, we start with a Tennessee basketball. And again, I'll tell you, Caleb, I do not pretend. To be an X's and O's master, I don't pretend to be a betting trend guy, but I had a weird feeling they would show up flat just like last week. I thought that they would show up and play really well against Alabama. I honestly can't remember if I said on the show, but I talked to my son and wife about it on Friday. I just had a weird feeling that Wednesday against Alabama was not a turning of the corner. It was just one of the ups and downs and what has become – a very up and down sort of basketball season. So I'm, I'm not surprised that Tennessee didn't play well against Kentucky. Before we get into whether or not the Vols were figured out, how are you this morning and what did you think as a synopsis of the game?
4: I'm doing pretty well. I, I got to give you a shout out, Dave. You called it. You called Alabama upset and Tennessee coming out flat this past weekend. Um Honestly, it was shocking to me that Tennessee was even favored against Kentucky, which threw me off because I thought playing at Kentucky, given the way the season has gone, look, I'm going to get to Tennessee in a minute, but this is somewhat par for the course for for college basketball this year. You know, fans will sit there and celebrate and say, it's so much parody. It's so great. No, it's not. It's so much mediocrity. It's just a bunch of really bad teams fighting to be the champion, fighting to be the tallest kid in kindergarten. That's college basketball this year. And... It's just a, it's just a, it's, it's horrible to watch, you know, Maryland the day after Tennessee upset number one, Alabama upset number two Purdue. And then Maryland just lost to Nebraska on the road last night. So this has been happening across the nation. It seems like nobody knows how to play on the road. And so I think this is a, um, yeah, you say they came out flat. I don't think they came out flat. I think there's just a, significant underlying problem with their offense that's been going on. And I wrote about this last night. That's been going on since the first time they played out, played against Kentucky. They've been figured out on offense and no, and they haven't made no adjustments since Kentucky figured them out.
3: Probably a better way to put it. um I, I I agree with that. I just thought that they, I mean, if a team's trending in the right way, they're able to generate points and clutch situations. they, Hit their free throws when they have to, and that to me was kind of the coming out flat part. You, you, you didn't, you didn't really cure anything on Wednesday, right? You put a Band-Aid right. on it, and I think that's 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 kind of what I was getting at. But but you're right. Figured out uh, quite possibly that leads us to today's tough question. It is now today's tough question. We appreciate the guys on the message board already this morning, as we're with you live each and every. Weekday at 10 a.m. So before I get to today's tough question, do want to uh, throw out uh, some comments. Travis says, good morning. John says, can someone start free throw uh, underhand, uh, throwing underhand free throws? Maybe they can make those better. I'm reminded of the Shaquille O'Neal story where he was asked to start doing underhanded free throws at LSU. Who is his coach? I'm sure you remember. I don't know who his coach was. L- ah, Dale something. Not Dale Harris. I know you can bite it, Dale. But anyway, he said, if you can hit 70% during practice, then I'm not going to make you shoot free throws underhanded. And he did. He hit 72% in a practice. Out of 100 free throws, he hit 72. And it was just getting in front of players, or getting in front of fans. And I don't know that that's Tennessee's fault, but something is going on because they're free throw shooting be it underhanded or not, has a real issue. But these guys can actually shoot. Today's
1: tough question is now. T- Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Sports.com. Real simple. Put
3: it on the message board. Give me your thoughts. Has this Tennessee basketball team – been figured out is it just that simple cut and dry today's tough question brought to you by campbell cunningham taylor and Hahn vision center that is all about those in knoxville and taking care of people with a local touch because they mean it they want you to feel fantastic and see better than ever before it was sunny on saturday and i was just enjoying my Far away vision, I had LASIK, and it's just uh, phenomenal. So we're going to address the near vision, too, and take care of the readers. So I love Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn. They're right there in Knoxville. And, again, their local cataract surgery, regular eye day, whatever the case may be, uh, you can go get your eyes checked at Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn in their various vision centers. So let me just put it out there. Has this Tennessee basketball team been figured out? And when I ask that question, Caleb, I, I want to provide the caveat that if they've been figured out, there's really no going back for Tennessee. It's not as if they stumbled. It's not as if they've had issues. It's not as if they could switch things up. Figured out to me means that... They've got a real problem in that there's really no fixing it if college basketball has figured them out. So with that caveat, I ask you that, have they been figured out
4: on offense? Yes. No one's figured out their defense and that's, that's fine because they're, they're that's why they'll still be able to pull off upsets like last week against Alabama, but their offense has been absolutely figured out. And I, I, uh, just, just for Ron Slay, if he's watching, I'm going to sip a little bit. Um... Never, you know, I've never <laughs> known anybody that enjoys getting a take right as much as you. <laughs> I'm I'm a very humble guy, guys. Okay, so um, anyways, uh, uh, I wrote – so if you remember, Tennessee lost to Kentucky the first time. Everybody thought that was a fluke. Everybody's like, they just came – even me, myself, I'll, I'll be honest. I thought it was a fluke. Tennessee came out flat. They, it was a Saturday. They were retiring Chris Lofton's jersey. It was their first. It was only their second loss, and we're thinking, not that big of a deal. We had Bert Bertelkamp on like three days later, and I think it was Burt Bertelkamp that actually pointed out. Maybe it was somebody else, but he was the one who pointed out to me that Kentucky was staying on the perimeter and not collapsing whenever Tennessee threw it down low.
3: He was the first one to say that. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
4: He was the first one to say that. Tennessee wins their next four, including against number 10, Texas. I wrote after their win over Texas that this is a concern because, yes, they're on a four-game winning streak with their defense, but if does anybody notice there's been a massive dip in their three-point shooting? A massive dip and that there's going to be a problem long-term. Well, since that Texas win, they've lost four of six. Three of their last four just got swept by Kentucky. Offense has been terrible, and this is the problem. Every team is now saying, you know what? We'll let you have your little inside game. We'll let you throw it down to Ross or Olivia or whoever – we're staying on the perimeter and we're going to make Santi Vescovy shoot with a guy in his face. We're going to make Tyreek Key shoot with a guy in his face. We're going to just keep doing that. And they have not been able to figure out what, how to get past that, quite honestly. And I, yeah, I think they've been figured out. I think the real truth of the matter is we're seeing Tennessee's three-point shooters are not Chris Lofton or even Jawan Smith, which is to say they can't hit threes when they're guarded. They can't hit threes with a hand in their face. And that's a big problem.
3: No, they can't, and they're not great open either because now they're starting to think about it a little bit more. Same thing at the free throw line. I think the most frustrating thing right now, Caleb, is I think if you just put them in the gym all by themselves, they'd be good shooters. And I just don't think they're good shooters now because it's in their head. So have they figured themselves out or have they been figured out? I think it's a little bit of both. I think they're in their own heads right now. And a late free throw that needs to be clutch is absolutely something that Tennessee is is, is not good at. And I don't think they're going to be good at it anytime soon.
4: Yeah. Well, outside of Tyreek and Santi, though, like, who is that good of a shooter on this team? And Tyreek has been awful. So I would agree it's in Tyreek's head. It's totally in Key's head right now. And it's obviously in Santi's head, too. Outside of those two, it's hard for me to say it's in their head because I don't think anybody on this team is that good of a shooter. If I'm being honest with you, I just I think that Rick Barnes recruited guys who have a solid mid range, who can big guys who can play underneath the basket, and a lot of guys who can slash to the basket like Zachary Ziegler. Well, that's unless you're doing the dribble drive like John Calipari. That's not really a formula for winning as much in the NBA now. I mean, sorry, in a college basketball nowadays, and I just don't know if you can i I don't think you can fix it overnight i you know there's no amount of scheming you can do except for relying on guys to hit shots and tennessee just doesn't have enough shooters on this team
3: i agree hit that like button we want to get more people as part of the program and that gets us out there on youtube so hit the like button if you haven't subscribed yet please do that as we've got a lot of things to get to so uh moving forward um how have you adjusted over the past two weeks since Caleb was one of kind of the first to say that this offense may be figured out that Tennessee does not play a style of offense that is conducive to NCAA tournament play. So where do you see this team finishing in March? Do you have
4: a feel for that at this point? I'm pretty convinced that they're not getting past the first weekend now. I mean, if you if every game you're playing, you can't hit you can't buy an outside bucket anymore. I mean, you don't play more than two games in the tournament where at least one team is playing well offensively. And there's no amount of defense that you can play that will slow that down. So, I mean, I think best case scenario, Tennessee makes it to Saturday or Sunday. I don't see them. I don't see how they make it to the sweet 16 anymore or beyond that.
3: No, I had them out first weekend even before the Alabama game. So, uh, so far you've got at A&M left, uh, South Carolina at home, Arkansas at home, and then at Auburn. How do you think they finish out those last four? I, I'm going to go ahead and say two and two at best.
4: I'm going to go two and two. I'll be fair. You could see one and three, by the way, because Are you that, good. I'm sorry.
3: Sure you could. Yeah, absolutely.
4: Oh, yeah. Like, I've, I think they'll beat South Carolina at home. I think the home crowd will help them beat Arkansas. I got them losing both road games. Um, I, I don't think they can – you know, I got them losing both games on the road. And I just – I mean, that that's the thing. The, the, la- the, the last two wins are Alabama and Auburn, which is a number one win and a top 25 win, but they didn't feel like top 25 wins. That Auburn game was the most atrocious basketball I think I've ever watched in, in years in – and I, I mean, the Alabama game was more Alabama committed a lot of turnovers um, I, I just think at Auburn and at a I don't think they're winning either of those
3: Today's tough question brought to you by Campbell Cunningham, Taylor and Hahn, we get to four downs now, four downs talking Tennessee basketball as we continue we want to get your thoughts on these questions so please go ahead and provide your answers on the message board
1: now Four downs, four questions, four answers, the Dave Hooker Show, four, four. four? downs, a presentation of offthehooksports.com.
3: Speaking of four, Tiger in a little bit of trouble over the weekend, but I don't want to get into that. I find the whole thing uncomfortable and what he handed up one of his fellow players. So Four Downs focuses on basketball, brought to you by Zach England. Uh, best in Brock. Zach can go toe-to-toe with those insurance companies and their high-polluting attorneys, as they used to call them in the South. He can go toe-to-toe, get you the money you, d- you deserve on your personal injury case. That's Zach England of Best in Brock. Zach's got your back. So Four Downs. And I thought this about three weeks ago, but I didn't want it to sound stupid. Because it would sound stupid to say should Tennessee replace Rick Barnes, right? He's had too great of a career to even consider making a move. Would you agree with that, Caleb? Okay. Now, that being said, I have been around programs in which I felt like the coach lost a little something, i.e. Jerry Green. And my question about Rick Barnes is, does it feel at all like he might retire after this season? Because some of the answers have been a little snippy as far as this is what we're going to do and all I care about is wins. And I wrote about that on Friday and he just doesn't seem to want to deviate Uh, Stuck in his ways, possibly, but also frustrated at times. And you don't see that out of a Rick Barnes press conference. So four downs. What do you think of the chances that Rick Barnes retires after this season? This is nothing that I'm reporting. It's nothing I've even heard. I will be very transparent with news that we break on this show. This is nothing I've even heard. It just has that feel to me for some reason. Pure speculation, Caleb.
4: I don't think he retires um, because Tennessee has two four-stars committed for 2023, plus Kate Phillips out of Jacksonville, a three-star. So he's still red hot on the recruiting trail. Rick Barnes is giving me ready-for-these vibes. Dave, you'll love this. He's the college basketball version, I feel like, of Mark Rick. Um,
3: That's a great comparison.
4: Yeah. Remember how Mark Rick, just Georgia, just felt – they were in the running every year but they just felt they had gotten stale under mark rick that was texas for rick barnes rick leaves go to miami kind of has the same problems and then after three or four years at miami, he's like i'm out i'm tired of this i'm retiring and i could see rick barnes being that like tennessee being his miami but he is recruiting well on the trail i think barnes genuinely likes the coaching part of the game more than a lot of people and he's One of my issues with Barnes for years is that I think I don't think he does this on purpose. I think when Tennessee loses, I think Barnes feels like it's understood that he made mistakes and that he didn't do a good job coaching. So he immediately goes to what his players did wrong and everything like that. And I get it; you know, players do things wrong, but it gives off very much like the same vibes Jimbo Fisher gives off whenever Texas A&M loses, and Jimbo Fisher's like, "Well, we just didn't execute." That's code for I did my job calling the plays and my players didn't deliver for me. and You're saying he
3: throws his players under the bus. You're saying saying it in the nicest way possible. He throws his players under the bus. Right, He just does. does. I think you're almost being too kind in some
4: sense. You're right. He does. And I think the way he does it is he thinks it's understood that he messed up, but he has to talk about what his players did. And by the way, have you ever noticed when Tennessee wins Barnes is still not that complimentary of his players when they win. He's still like, oh, you know, we could have done this better, and, you know, we need them to do this. And I'm like, it's – I feel like to a certain degree, it's like, if you're a player that's got to wear on you, can you not just say, I'm really proud of the job you guys did today? (laughs) uh,
3: John's saying, I will enjoy when Barnes has been replaced with a more offensive-minded coach. Barnes is great, and specifically a great man, a la Rick, but – Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like they didn't want to, Georgia didn't want to fire Mark Rick and if South Carolina hadn't made a real run and almost hired Kirby smart, they wouldn't have replaced Mark Rick. But what did they do when they decided to, the president got on a plane and flew to where Mark Rick was recruiting up North to tell him personally. So it's that type of situation. It's that type of bond and respect for the job he's done. And again, no one on this show or at off the exports is saying that Rick Barnes should be fired. I just, I get this weird feeling in my gut that at the end of the year, he could say, you know, I'm good. I've had enough. Um, would it be good for Tennessee if Rick Barnes retired? That second down, second down, good for Tennessee if Rick Barnes retires?
4: I mean, that's so dependent on who they are going to get, but I would say just in a vacuum, 50-50 chance, no. Uh, and the reason I say that is, look, when Georgia moved on from Mark Rick, David, we've talked about this george is a program where you and i can get a top five recruiting class it's an easy job they should be competing for national championships every single year tennessee basketball it's what's the best tennessee basketball has ever been we're not talking about a program that's gone to the final four ever and so with tennessee basketball all you can really ask is that you're in the ncaa tournament every year and i think that you know it's, it's not kentucky um I know you brought up Jerry Green, and Jerry Green was in the NCAA tournament every year, but I think you and I both agree, had Jerry Green stayed about two more years, Tennessee would have been a team with a losing record, because Green didn't care to coach. True,
3: and had there been about a dozen other coaches, Tennessee would have been in the Final Four a couple of those years.
4: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I think that, look, Green walked in, to his credit, Green did put together a great recruiting class in 99, and he got Vincent Yarbrough in 98, but he... He had, he had three years' worth of Kevin O'Neill recruits handed into his lap yes. uh, when, he, when he took over.
3: I'm going to go – we're disagreeing a lot, which I guess is good for uh, debate. But I'm not even playing devil's advocate here. I think if, with Danny White in place, he would hire a very good coach to great coach, maybe an up-and-coming guy. Um, I think they would be more offensive-minded just because they would want to change the tenor of the way the program feels. It's not Tennessee football where you can just throw out the power tee and recruit at that level. But it's kind of close with Thompson Bowling Arena, with the Pratt Pavilion, with the facilities, with uh, playing in the SEC, which has more panache nowadays when compared to the ACC and the former Big East and all that stuff. I mean, it has – It has more panache than it used to. So I think because of Tennessee and you can hop on a plane at any time you want to, I think Tennessee can recruit on a high level. I'm not comparing it to football whatsoever, but I think that Tennessee with a competent coach could continue to recruit as well as Barnes. I'm not going to say better because then you're talking about the Kentuckys, the Dukes of the world, but I think they would be right there. So I actually, I, I got a lot of respect for Rick Barnes, and it kind of pains me to say this, but if the, the question is, is that good for UT? Yeah, I think they could use a fresh face on that program. And so I will say, yeah, if, if, if Rick Barnes decided to retire, that would be good for Tennessee. Now, I'm not saying that he should, and Tennessee's in a great position. It's a bird in the hand, two in the bush, but I think there's potential because of Danny White or Tennessee to do even better in basketball year in and year out. And I think we're going to be having this same discussion, Caleb, in a year or two if Rick Barnes stays. It's going to be a defensive program. That's what they do. I don't think he's going to up and go tempo like Nick Saban did with Lane Kiffin. I don't see that happening. Third down, would his tenure at UT be deemed a success without a Final Four at Tennessee? Yay yeah, or nay?
4: I hate to sound like the biggest Rick Barnes defender now because I'm not, but yay, because relative to what Tennessee basketball has done in the past, and who's a Tennessee basketball... He's the first Tennessee basketball coach to last more than six years since Don DeVoe. And in that six years, he's won an SEC regular season title. He's won an SEC tournament title. He's gotten Tennessee to the Sweet 16. He got them a 31 season, and he got them to finish number one. I mean, not finish. He got them to number one one year. What has he done that that any other Tennessee coach what has he not done that any other Tennessee coach did outside of Bruce Pearl reaching the elite eight one year, which credit to Bruce on that, but you compare him to any other Tennessee coaches, you got rain Mears and Bruce Pearl. Those are the only two coaches that have a case over Rick Barnes and Rick Barnes might have a case over both of them too, given what he's done over eight years.
3: No question. Completely agree. Uh, It's a tenure. It's a successful tenure. Even if the Vols get bounced out of the first round, of the NCAA tournament this year. And if that were the end of it, it's a successful tenure. I completely agree with you because of the backdrop at Tennessee. If he were at Duke, we'd be having a different discussion. All right. Would, should the Falls go after a Bruce Pearl if Rick Barnes did retire after this season?
4: No. And I'm going to, I would have, my answer would have been different eight years ago when. You know, Quanzo Martin left for Cal right after Bruce Pearl was hired at Auburn. If it had just been like a month before, I would have said hire Bruce Pearl back. Now, I totally say no. People don't understand this. Bruce Pearl has been figured out too. That flex offense has been figured out. That up-tempo press system that he came to the SEC that he took by Firestorm in 2005-2006 has been figured out. A lot of the SEC runs tempo now. Nate Oates and his tempo system is much more fashionable than what Bruce Pearl ran, which was more of a – which was, again, developed by Dr. Tom Davis like 40 years ago and has won one national title, and that was Gary Williams at Maryland in 2002. That's point number one. Point number two is we talked about the grill – we talked about the Bruce Pearl barbecue scandal. But on top of that, he's gotten in trouble at Auburn. Um, and you've you mentioned a few other uh, shady things to me, Dave, that has happened yes uh and, and and i think that tennessee's already tennessee one had to fire bruce pearl because of that then they had donnie Tendall come in and they had to fire him after a year because of that they, they can't afford to bring bruce pearl back and these type of ncaa investigations they just keep building on each other and I, no i wouldn't bring bruce pearl back at all i wouldn't i would not touch him
3: I wouldn't either. I couldn't bring back a guy that lied to the university and lied to the NCAA as much as I love Bruce on a personal level. Travis saying, if we went to the Final Four, do you still feel this way? Um, do I feel that? Well, in some ways, I feel that Rick Barnes might be more likely to retire if he made the Final Four or won a national title. I think that's kind of what he's waiting on. And Travis, I want to be really, really clear. I do not in any shape, form or fashion think that he should be replaced i just you know he's 68 years old and i wonder at some point does he say this grind and especially the type of college basketball he knows is not the type that's winning right now i wonder if if he says to himself man i can't wait for this cycle because all sports are cycles and i can't wait for a defensive cycle to come back because i'm 68 years old so, no, Travis, I don't want him gone. I think Tennessee's in great shape with him. As for the Pearl question, no. No, I wouldn't do that. I don't think he's the hot commodity that he was when he was at Tennessee. I agree with Caleb on that. But just the line to the NCAA and what that could cause and what that uh, did to Tennessee and really putting the then athletic director Mike Hamilton over a barrel was just... uh just, just brutal. Balls all-time list coming up next as Grant Williams, man, he's had a fantastic career, named the VP of the Players Union. So where do the balls rank in terms of, or where does Grant Williams rank in terms of the greatest balls of all time? And then at some point I want to get into a little Tennessee baseball and why this weekend was not the end of the world. But what in the H? is the compliance office doing and not having a player ready to go that's been on campus since, like, August. Unbelievable. Just blows me away. So uh, stay tuned. We are back in two minutes. Scott says Barnes can't get the most out of his talent. We'll discuss that. Two minutes off the hook sports. Caleb Calhoun, I'm Dave Hooker.
5: Family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique, with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler, and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater.
0: Inflation has risen to the highest level in over 40 years, according to the April 2022 U.S. Inflation Calculator. Will your investments provide you the income you need in retirement? Are you losing purchasing power of your savings due to inflation? Simply stated, if the cost of goods and services are 8% higher and you're only earning 4% in your investments, that money buys you less of what you need. Right now is the time to act. Call Guardian Investment Advisors today.
1: Chattanooga, we're at it again. For the fifth year in a row, you voted us best of the best criminal and DUI law firm. And finalist for best law firm and best personal injury firm. Thank you for the love, Chattanooga. We won't let you down. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vassy Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vassy here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassy's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassie Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive.
5: Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment with a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at CCTIs.
2: Priceline.
1: Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get caught, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker. Really proud of the app. If you
3: haven't downloaded it yet, we'd appreciate that. And we've just been working on it since, like, 2014. So, holy Hannah. <laughs> that was something else. <laughs> we put, a, put on a whole show and hired eight people <laughs> before we could get the app to work. <clears throat> Scott says Barnes can't get the most out of his talent. Fair? Caleb?
4: What is getting the most out of mean? He gets the most out of them in that he develops them to the point where they can maximize their NBA potential. I'm going I'm to give him that. I mean, he turned Tristan Thompson into an NBA star. When Tristan Thompson is not out here cheating on Khloe Kardashian, he, he was actually a reliable defensive player. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Tristan had a huge role in the Cavs winning that finals in 2016. So in that regard, he develops them. In terms of like, getting the most out of the talent he has for team success, I agree and I mean, it goes back to the debate. Is it, do you prefer a coach who schemes better or who maximizes talent better in college? You know, it's kind of, or or who develops talent better in college. That's the old David Cutcliffe for me. Like I said, David Cutcliffe versus Steve Spurrier.
3: Mm, I'd rather have the guy who gets people winning in college. Uh, John said top five based uh, or talking about uh, Grant Williams. That's where we're going to, change directions here. Top five based on impact on the program or best basketball talent, maybe both. Cause I'd have different lists based on the criteria. So Grant Williams named to uh, the VP of the uh, players union, which is a pretty good stroke, man. That's that's, that's a sign that you're a leader. That's a sign that people want to rally behind you. So good for him. The former ball with the Boston Celtics. And uh, I, um, I'm still shocked how good he is for the Celtics, and I'm a Celtics fan. So I uh, tried to make plans to go see them at uh, Philode- in Philadelphia this weekend because I'll be up north. But unfortunately, that didn't work out um, because uh, tickets are expensive. And I don't, I don't realize how far these cities are from each other. Caleb knows because he lives up there. I thought that Hartford might be kind of close to Philadelphia. It's like a five-hour drive. So I'm not doing that.
4: i uh, $200 worth of tolls. You know, you don't have tools in the south, you got to no, all that's true. In the East.
3: John, um, John says, as far as Barnes, I'd rather be teased and throw my arms up every year in, in futility. And Travis already has Grant Williams at number four. So, uh, I ask you this Grant Williams, where does he rank among the all time Tennessee balls? And it's brought to you by Zul Beer Company xulbeer.com. Zul Beer, worldwide award-winning craft beer parking downtown. You're going to love it. Great place to hang out, a panoramic view of downtown. So where does Grant Williams rank? And uh, let me begin with you, because I know you're pretty high on him and uh, his impact and his standing in the program. So lay it on me.
4: You know, ranking him fourth? I might put him third. I might put him – this is just production in college. I might put him ahead of Allen Houston. I mean, I'm going to say it. I could even put him second behind Bernard King. Yeah, I'm going to go second. Okay, wait a
3: second. Now, are we talking production? Because then – I mean, we do have a more offensive game and have had a more offensive game in the past 20 years. So let's take that into account. Not that he's just a great offensive player, but it's his number
4: just- – it's not just the stats. He's a two-time All-American and a two-time SEC player of the year. Outside of Bernard King, I think he's the only other player right from Tennessee to be a two-time SEC player of the year.
3: Okay, can I change it though a little bit? Um, okay. okay, you're building a team. Is he in the top 5 picks on your team?
4: See my starting five for Tennessee basketball. All-time. So, okay, so starting point guard is obviously Ernie Grunfeld. We agree with that, right? If you're building a team, Ernie Grunfeld plays point guard, right?
3: Yes, but Tony White's an emotional second stringer.
4: Right, exactly. Um, So Tony White backup, Ernie Grunfeld the starter. Uh, Chris Lofton is your starting shooting guard. Am I right? Yes. All right. Dale Ellis has got to be your starting small forward. Am I right?
3: Yes. Especially the way he played in the NBA. He was more of a post player in college, but in the NBA, he was a shooter. So
4: no doubt. Okay. So this is where you have to leave Grant Williams out. And this is so unfair to him because he probably... I might have him second all time. But the power forward position is been reserved for one Bernard King. And you can't have him ahead of Bernard King. And neither one of them can play center. Reggie Johnson, I think, would be center on the all-time Tennessee basketball team. And so I'd go Reggie Johnson, Bernard King, Dale Ellis, Chris Lofton, and um, Ernie Grunfeld. So I would not start Grant Williams. He'd be my second-string power forward. But he is the second-best player of all time in Tennessee history. There's It's just he is tied in, locked into that power forward spot because King nor Grant Williams is big enough to play center. So you have to have a center in there.
3: Well, and you also would lose some, you would think you would lose some of King's shooting ability if, you know, he had to uh, play center on the offensive end. I think you'd want him to be a stretch four and that opens it up to what kind of center do you even want? I mean, do you want a defensive center? a um, uh, Stevie Hamer, a Doug Roth, do you want those type of guys? Kevin Nash at Center uh, do you but I mean in all seriousness though if you have that type of team that can shoot from the perimeter, do you want that guy Kind of like a Draymond green I know Draymond has some offensive skills, but a Draymond Green, a bill lambambier. I'm just throwing guys out there that were defensive presence
4: Robert you need somebody that can, you need somebody that can clean up the boards down low. I think, at that point. And that's where a Reggie Johnson would come in. I think Reggie Johnson is probably the best center in Tennessee basketball history. So I would, the best true center. So I would go with him.
3: Well, now John says, Tony White and Ron Slayer are my emotional lift from the bench. Yes. So my I would totally second unit this. You remember when UNLV did that, that one year? They just subbed in like a whole five, five new dudes come in. So I don't know that I'd do five, but my three would be Tony White, Ron Slay, Grant Williams. That's the mass sub that comes in at the second TV timeout, and then I'm I'm gold. I'm in good shape there. I got
4: I got four because okay. we have to throw Hal Allen Houston in there too. And so oh, I got Alan, do we not have Allen Houston as a starter? Are you starting him over Chris Lofton or Dale Ellis? I've got to
3: start Allen Houston over. now only, I'm confused. Okay, wait, 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 so. They, Okay, Ernie, here's my five. Let me be real clear. Okay. Ernie, uh, the two, Lofton, the three, Allen Houston, because I'm shooting a lot of threes. I do this in NBA Live with my son, by the way, all the time. <laughs> I go small ball all the time. Okay. And then Bernard King at the four, which for my taste is a little bit big for a four, but he can shoot. And then the five, I'm wide open. I don't think it really matters.
4: Well, go with me. There. Or maybe I go
3: Bernard play. King at center and then I get another shooter in there.
4: I mean, then you, you, know who discuss- we haven't,
3: you know who we haven't discussed that as far as pure physical ability can get you a two when it's got to happen was not great at defense, but was great at pe- playing passing lanes. Vincent Yarbrough.
4: Oh, Vincent Yarbrough in terms of raw talent. I would. I, I agree. Um, it's. That's raw talent, though, and I'm going this based on production. If you move King at center, you have to put Grant Williams at power forward. You absolutely have to. His production was incredible. Um, like, again, two-time SEC Player of the Year, two-time All-American, SEC regular season champion, um, led Tennessee to a number one ranking with 30 wins. How do you, like, the, you got to put Grant Williams in there. I mean, he's the, he's the most productive player in Tennessee history since Bernard King.
3: Okay, now let me make it tougher on you because I'm enjoying this. This is fun stuff. All right, got to do this without Bernard King and Arnie Grunfeld and Dell Ellis. You've got to do this since 1990
4: on. You actually made it a heck of a lot easier for me.
3: Really?
4: <laughs> yeah, because I can start Tony White at point guard. Easy. Well,
3: he's, he's mid-80s, but I'll give you that.
4: Oh, you're right. No, no. no. I'm, 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 I'm going to go. I'll, give you,
3: I'll go. give you the wizard because that was that, – uh, that, that and Johnny Jones, those were my first two favorite Tennessee players. So you're getting the Dave No, discount. I'm
4: sticking with your rule. I'm sticking with your rule, okay. and I'm starting C.J. Watson at point guard at that point. Ooh. Um, C.J. Watson labored for three years under the worst coaching in the history of basketball with Buzz Peterson. <laughs> Horrible coach. <laughs> and then he spends one year under Bruce Pearl, and he thrives. He ends up getting like a six, seven-year NBA career out of that. I will never forget, I was at a Grizzly game. It must have been about 10, 15 years ago. And CJ was playing for Golden State. I go and I meet CJ Watson's uncle, who was like sitting in in the stands and was like, yeah, Buzz was a bad dude. But just they had nothing nice to say about Buzz. And Watson apparently from Vegas, but went to Tennessee because his family's from Nashville. And and they just loved Pearl. So I got CJ Watson as my starting point guard.
3: Okay, I'll have CJ Watson as my starting point. Now we're saying since 90 on. I'll have, and this is all because Grant Williams, if you're just tuning in, please hit the like button. Grant Williams was named VP of the Players Union. So it'd be great to have him from a leadership perspective. But if we're, if we're talking pure talent, I'd go CJ since 1990. I'd go CJ1. I would go... Uh,
4: the two and three are easy.
3: Lofton is your two. Vincent's your three.
4: No, and, I would Vincent.
3: Oh, man, where am I
4: – I want to get Vincent in there.
3: Okay, so Allinger, three. You're right. Um, and then at the four, who you got at the four and the five?
4: I mean, four is easy at this point. It's it's Grant Williams because yeah. he – it's Grant Williams. And at this point, here's a – The five, series. Stevie Hamer? What? No, here's one. The most win- – the winningest player in Tennessee basketball history, Wayne Chisholm. No, Wayne Chisholm, man, no. come on. What? Okay, what? Okay, Wayne Chisholm, Isaiah Victor, C.J. Black, Brandon Crump. Brandon Crump never went anywhere though, so I'm just naming some some true centers. Tennessee wasn't that deep at center. If you want to go wide and not like link Jarnell Stokes. Um, a couple years under Quanzo Martin.
3: Okay. Um, All right,
2: I'm not.
4: Uh... There's not a lot of height that you can. There's not a lot of like. Productive centers from this time that you can really go with.
3: We got to get Slay Dog in there somehow. He joins us each and every week.
4: Slay has some length. He could probably play the five. And I'll he was him. SEC Player of the Year.
3: I'll text him and see if he can play the five. I don't remember him playing the five with that group, but he, I, he probably had to because that was in – Hathaway had the blood clot issue.
4: Well, well, Isaiah Victor was still on the team though, and then after Isaiah Victor, Brandon Crump came in, and Marcus Hazlip was. Oh, what about Hazlip at center?
3: Uh, incredible physical talent. I didn't think was ever. Uh, I could go Hazel at center. You just don't. <laughs> you don't have to worry about him scoring, which in this team you wouldn't have to. Uh, White portions, Howard
4: before Dwight Howard.
3: Yeah. Wow. Great comparison. Portions of the program brought to you by Craft Treats. Craft Treats. Man. CraftTreats.com. Use the promo code off the hook. That's the promo code off the hook and get twenty percent off. I highly recommend their Chill Pills. That helps with your pet's anxiety. Also, will help with your. A pet's arthritis and digestive issues, but they've got non-cbd treats as well. That's crafttreats.com. Crafttreats.com. Use the promo code off the hook. The promo code off the hook. Somebody said Fulkerson. <laughs> you know, with this group we've got though. No.
2: Pulgerson,
3: no, that's not terrible. A defensive presence.
4: He Rick Barnes had to move him to the—Fulkerson had one—I'm going to say this about Fulkerson because I think we all love him because of what how committed he was to Tennessee. Fulkerson had one two-month run before the pandemic hit in 2020 where nobody really thought anything of him, and he was inserted into the lineup, and he caught everybody off guard. Teams figured out how to play him after that, and he was never the same, which is why Barnes had to move him back to the bench last year.
3: So— I thought you were going to say that everybody thought he had COVID.
4: No. No. So they I stay away from
1: him. It's like, don't get close to that guy.
3: He's got I really
4: rumors close. that's why Magic Johnson was kind of effective on the Dream Team, by the way. Oh, <laughs> my new. gosh. man! My um, Drexler said that, not me.
3: Yeah. Carl uh, Malone had some choice words about that. By the way, Carl Malone, uh, w- wasn't he on the slam dunk committee thing? Have we How was
4: he allowed at the NBA? I don't season. know. Have
3: we forget- forgotten about him dating like a 15-year-old?
4: Oh, it was 12. It was 12. She was 12? 12. And he was 20.
3: Oh, that's even grosser. All and
4: right. Had a baby by her and then refused to take care of the baby. They decided not to press charges because they thought, because they saw his NBA career and they're like, you know, we need money to take care of the baby. And then he fought having to take care of that baby his entire MBA career.
3: That happened a lot. Larry, that happened to Larry Bird.
4: Yeah, but not- Larry Bird, it wasn't an underage. It wasn't a 12 year old.
3: No, 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 it wasn't. And she looks just like him, the poor, poor lady um so i mean it's, it's like if you bumped into her randomly in phoenix you'd say oh you're larry bird's daughter and so um and michael jordan has a daughter in knoxville but he did take care of her financially
4: you might know that and he's also Buzz peterson's best friend <laughs> sorry yeah, never
3: hanging out with him but yeah i was wondering if anybody else knew that but
4: yeah. michael jordan or Buzz peterson out here the ultimate call chaser
3: Yes. Uh, okay. So we got a, a scholar McBee could be your shooting four. Um,
4: but, Not over Chris. Law. Oh, at the four.
3: Yeah. So we're going. We're going super small. Uh, that's what we're going to do. And John said, "Love Tony." When I was a kid, me too. I mean, my two first favorite players were Tony White in basketball and Johnny Jones in football, running back. And th- that's that was the mid '80s. So I'm like 10 years old, and I'm starting to grab towards athletics so all right so all right I, I wanted to let's switch gears a little bit grant williams uh if you didn't see the dunk contest some dude that may live on your street won it um he's a, a no name he uh is like six two and he can jump through the gym and did all they did a 740 which is the first time i've seen that i mean when do we get to the point where we're doing um like three spins I don't know but it could happen so uh the most unlikely great players in UT history now do you just want to go basketball here or go football or the whole nine yards
4: well since this is kind of a Grant Williams transition I was going to go both because the story with me with Grant Williams is he was an Ivy League kid he had three Ivy League golfers his mom works for NASA super nerd if you've ever covered him and then became a two-time All-American so he's like the Josh Dobbs of college basketball and Josh Dobbs is on the list for me Okay,
3: so most unlikely player to emerge in Tennessee athletics. Let me get your thoughts on the message boards. Go ahead and uh, post that right now, because I got to be honest with you, I'm gonna I'm gonna need some help because it was football in particular,ly I covered the guys with the most stars, right, Caleb? Because they got the most attention. You covered uh,
4: the I, error I, that was loaded with talent.
3: Yeah, and I'm really having trouble with thinking. I'm having trouble thinking of a guy that came in. And I was totally stunned that he was good. Um, gosh! Uh, so I'm going to keep thinking about that. as As far as basketball, now I do have a couple. Scholar McBee was one that I was going to throw out there. Uh, another one that I was going to throw out there that I thought was really good was Del Baker because Del Baker got the offer and joined Tennessee's team the year before his brother Vincent Yarbrough. So I always thought that was just kind of a throw-in um, that they had to get him. They also hired uh, those guys as uh, a high school coach. Uh, so I just thought Dell Baker was a throw-in but turned into be a very good player. Um, Aaron Green, I, I think, was a, a very good player. Um, and Jawan Smith, I didn't think that he would be on the same par. I'm not saying he was as good as Chris Lofton, but he was on the same level. Of being a great shooter, just not quite as good. Uh, but man, I'm struggling with football message board. Help me, please, because I am just—I'm having trouble thinking of a guy that just kind of came out of nowhere.
4: Well, I have to give you a shout out for Juwan Smith. I think that's the—that's the ultimate overachiever. I—I I don't even think he was. You know, I remember Tennessee basketball recruiting, and I just went back and looked back at 2004. He wasn't even on the list of their commitments that year. Like the guy was just a country kid from Cleveland. No, no, I just went back and looked, and it's just came out of nowhere. And I, he never played that last year under Buzz Peterson. And then Bruce Pearl play, puts him in against, ironically, Rick Barnes in Texas, which was – remember that big win over Texas, his first signature win at Tennessee? Bruce Pearl. Yes. Rick, throws Juwan Smith, in, and then Juwan Smith gets red-hot shooting the ball. The next year, Juwan Smith is starting next to Chris Lawton, and it's quite honestly – Look, Chris Lofton was the best player, and then Tyler Smith came. But Jawan Smith was the leader of those teams. He was kind of the heart of those two teams, and like that, he's the best overachiever, I think. And and I know, I know, Fred hates the term overachieving. Jawan Smith was an overachiever. That was a legitimate overachiever. Yeah,
3: Fred will remind you that he ran a ten-two in the hundred meters, so that's not an overachiever. Um, I man, I cannot come up with one.
4: Oh, I got a football one. It's more your time than mine, but Chris White, 1985.
3: See, that I didn't know players top to bottom in. So, like, I knew Johnny Jones, but I didn't know. I mean, that's, White a, stepped that's,
4: him at that's... At safety, it had, what, eight interceptions? Came an in All-American?
3: Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really good one. Um,
4: Daryl Dickey himself, too.
3: <laughs> well, I was going to say Daryl Dickey and the other one who had Tennessee's all-time... Interception record. How about Tim Priest? It's
4: hard for me to judge interceptions from like that time because it was like, well, but I yeah, don't I know
3: what kind of recruit he was either. That's uh, true. So I'm having a lot of trouble. I what mean, about
4: Juwan Jennings moving? What about Juwan Jennings at wide receiver? Remember Jennings? See, was yeah, I, know, receiver I saw
3: first. Jennings. <clears throat> I saw Jennings in high school. And he was playing quarterback, and I thought that guy is a deer. I mean, he runs like a deer. And I, I, I was—it's funny that that came to my mind a couple of minutes ago, but I wasn't really surprised. <clears throat> um, uh, you know, I, I, I will, I will give you one. Um, I'll give you two. Both in the defensive backfield, I thought Jonathan Hefney and Jabari Greer both had size issues. And I thought that would prevent them from being fantastic players. Um, But it didn't. They were both very good players. Jabari Greer went on to a great career in the NFL as well. Um, I'll tell you one that I had underrated that showed up on camp that I was like, whoa. Because when Kevin Burnett signed with Tennessee, I thought of all the great linebackers before him. And I thought, you know, with Al Wilson's of the world, I thought there's no way he can compete with those guys. Right. Wouldn't you right. have thought that? And then I remember uh, they used to have freshman days when they would open camp and you'd have two days just to vote to a freshman. And he, he, he did this speed agility drill with Jabari Greer and he hung with him and he's 40 pounds heavier. So I was like, Oh, okay. That guy's got, crazy physical ability jabril wilson is a good one junior college guy that had a nose for the football good job john very very good job
4: laid one of the greatest hits i've ever seen too against kentucky physical guy
3: um yeah i remember interviewing larry slade about him i said what makes him so good because he made some plays and some scrimmages when they were open he said he didn't mean it mean he goes are you watching (laughs)
4: he <laughs> that he's just,
3: he's just around the football, had that nose for the football. Uh, I'll tell you another one that I think we, we say this too often because a player just happens to be Caucasian. I think we get in those stereotypes. Uh, Will Overstreet.
4: See, I, I have a hard time with Will Overstreet and Bernard Jackson was the other side, right? Yes. I think you and I could have played defensive end on that team with who was in the middle.
3: Well, but if you remember Bernard Jackson, his nickname was Godzilla or something, and he was supposed to be the best defensive end that Tennessee had gotten in a number of years or since Sean Ellis or whatever was the case. So on the flip side, to have Will Overstreet outperform him, that was definitely a surprise from their freshman year forward. So if I can kind of couch it a little bit like that, I would say that I was I was surprised.
4: What about this one? So I don't know if he – you can call it unlikely great, good player because he was a starter, but I'm going to be mean here and say he never should have been starting, and I think there was just some likability factor with him. But Ryan Carl.
3: Oh, Ryan Carl's good. Ryan Carl's good. I'll give you another one that sounds crazy in retrospect, but I didn't think he had the size. It was Raynor Thompson i didn't think he was the the way he hit people when i saw early and early scrimmages i thought that guy's body is not gonna hold up and it did and it did through the nfl and a decent career in the nfl so while i thought he was every bit as athletic as al wilson and the other guys on that team i did not think that he had the size to have a a long career, and he did. So Raynock Thompson, in a weird way, kind of maybe fits your mold, maybe.
4: Yeah, do you think maybe – I wonder if you think because you're talking about – you talk about how you got caught off guard with size with Raynock Thompson and Kevin Burnett, and I'm thinking this was right around the time where you told me that John Chavis started recruiting smaller linebackers to hang with Spurrier's offense, and that's how he figured out Spurrier's offense. So it seems like that – it seems like Raynock Thompson and Kevin Burnett may have been recruited specifically for that, right?
3: Oh, my man gets a shout out. Yeah, with Burnett, he was faster than I thought. With Raynock Thompson, he was um, not as big, and I didn't think he would have a long career, but John is my man. Steve Johnson, my broadcasting buddy, we had classes together, and yes, Steve Johnson was on a team that was loaded at defensive back. He caught the Interception that wrapped up the Fiesta Bowl for the national championship. If you remember, Steve Johnson was not as talented as the other guys, but had a fantastic career. And I still remember the disgusting sweaty hug. He gave me after the 98 Florida game and uh, yeah, broadcasting major. We had a lot of classes together and Steve Johnson is a very, very good one. He's one of those guys that on pretty much any other team or any other era caleb other than 98 99 he's the starter hands down he is your starter right
4: yeah definitely definitely i would agree but he was starting with uh who, what was that secondary that year because you had dwayne goodrich fred white deon grant um god that's a who like,
3: and steve was the other corner
4: I'm he wondering. was the other one wasn't he yeah
3: yeah so they were pretty darn loaded and so that yeah, that's a very good one, John. John's throwing high heat today. There's no question about it.
4: You know who would have been on this list, by the way, is we would we would be talking about him more than any of these others. Would have been Inky Johnson, if not for the injury.
3: Yep, three-star.
4: Yep. De- definitely
3: would have been. Definitely would have been. Um, and you, the one we haven't mentioned, Travis Stevens.
4: Yeah, redshirted just so he could have a year to himself to play.
3: yeah. And- was ridiculed by one media member to his face that may have been on this program that didn't think he could get it done against Florida, and he ran for 220-plus yards. That media um,
4: member was not me.
3: <laughs> no. That media, not this specific program, but has been on this program maybe Friday. So, um, yeah. Ooh.
4: <laughs> well, well okay and we have to be honest here steven ha- steven's had a good cut and good breakaway speed but to be objective about it that was that might have been the best offensive line of Volmer's entire tenure at tennessee that year that's true but he
3: had a little neat thing going where i thought he saw holes and he was a patient runner
4: he was um and he was right and remember will bartholomew may have been the best blocking fullback that was the time when the blocking fullback was still a thing and will bartholomew and john Finlayson at tight end they were starters at fullback and tight end specifically because of how great of blockers they were. So Stevens really had seven elite blockers that he was running behind at the time.
3: I agree. Portions of the program and this discussion, which was a lot of fun brought to you by Andy Mason, real estate, any Mason, real estate.com. Andy Mason, his office have over 40 years of experience in Knoxville real estate. They'll save you thousands. Don't accidentally blow a few thousand or tens of thousands. You have got to go to Andy Mason, real estate.com. Very easy to fill out the form on his website that, hey, I built, and you can uh, get in touch with Andy Mason and you'll be so, so glad you did. Andy Mason, realestate.com. And coming up, I want to get to two things. I want to get to Tennessee's newest commitment. And do you want to let's save the Jeremy Pruitt thing for tomorrow? There's news breaking about why that uh, whole thing is is dragging on and i do want to get into that but i'd like to call some sources before we really dive into that <clears throat> but it is dragging on so tennessee picks up a commitment I'm going to give you a breakdown on him and then also what happened to tennessee's baseball team over the weekend hang tight with me two minutes caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker off the Oak sports
5: sun sand and saltwater. the beach is a very relaxing place Unless you wear contacts, ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK vision correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah! Do you want
1: to own the more that owns every job? Then get the Vassy Lawn and Garden in Cleveland. And get you a Toro. I'm David Vassy here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero turn, you'll get more out of every minute, and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassie's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing 3 acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassie Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive.
2: Hey folks,
0: Gary Viles here Viles Automotive on Callahan Drive. I've been selling cars here in East Tennessee for 27
1: years. In that time, I've come to realize it's not about the car. It's about you, the customer. So I'm
0: here to take care of you just like family. Good credit, bad credit, you name it, we can get you taken care of. If we don't have it, we can find it for you. We go across the country to get any vehicle that you want. And here at Viles Automotive, we don't believe in fake numbers. We just give you great deals. And as
2: always, we want, we need, and we appreciate your business. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard heating and air conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. There's your bear. Chattanooga, we're at it again. For the
1: fifth year in a row, you voted us best of the best criminal and DUI law firm. And finalist for best law firm and best personal injury firm.
0: Thank you for the love, Chattanooga. We won't let you down.
5: Our family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler and I wanna be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut, and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week,
0: you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment
1: A presentation of Off The internet is full of pictures of each and every one of you. Available on <laughs> YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free.
2: Is there nothing you people can't do?
1: Also available on Off the Travis
3: just made me laugh. He said the German kid D-line, his name escapes me. You know who he's referring to.
4: I'm going to say Constantine Ritzman.
3: It is, and way after his career was over, somebody called me one time on a talk show in Knoxville and said, "Hey man, have you heard what's going on with Constantine Ritzman?" And I said, "No, what's going on?" <clears throat> and he said, "Well, nothing. I was just wondering if he was playing." pros in nfl the germinator uh if he was he hated that nickname if he was playing in the pros or he was in nfl europe and i was like well that's kind of a random question so this caller called every single day for almost a year and it was an ongoing joke he would just work in constant constantine ritzman so he would like say something to the effect of hey, Tennessee basketball struggled over the weekend. They could have used a leader like Constantine Ritzman. What would you think of the game? And for a year, Caleb, he called in every day and worked in a Constantine Ritzman reference.
4: That's actually kind of hilarious. <laughs> it, it was, he didn't miss a day. Well, that Randall- one, I remember Tennessee lost every member of their front four in 2001 to 2002. Constantine Ritzman was going to be the leader of that front four. He suffers a season-ending the, in the injury. Um... And then they lost every member of the front four again from 2002 to 2003 um, from the starting line. And the 2003 front four was better than the 2002
3: one. Um, I'll tell you this. JT Mapu was better than I thought he would be. And oh, yeah. it, it, taught me, it taught me that if it's a Polynesian player, and you should like this if you're rooting for Nico, those Polynesians, Polynesians got that dog in them and i've interviewed uh i can't i can't remember his name suddenly Papa but he was a
4: five star though
3: oh he was okay yeah <laughs> well then he I, he should have been good but when i saw him he was a little small he was like a fireplug type of guy so i didn't necessarily think that he would be uh fantastic uh okay so portions of the program brought to you by bassy lawn and garden man alive it's worth the drive bassy lawn and garden whether you're in knoxville nashville or chattanooga they have <clears throat> the industrial, commercial, and residential mowers that you need. Scott came up with three more for basketball. Uh, Tyler Smith, J.P. Prince, Wayne Chisholm that should be in the discussion of the all-time five. Not not, not overachievers, Caleb, but should be in the discussion. They're probably on the 12-team, the 12-man rotation.
4: Maybe post-1990, not all-time. Not all oh,
3: yeah, 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 post-1990, yeah. I
4: mean, great so jp prince funny enough went to my rival high school we were i was in high school and he was in high school and he was gatorade player of the year and at white station my school ridgeway beat them uh two out of three that year and then went to go win state champions while white station did just throwing that out there trying to troll jp prince a little bit um <laughs> nice. um yeah which he went to the same high school dame bradshaw went to in memphis white station um J.P. Prince was an amazing. You know, if we're talking lockdown defender, I mean, he's got to be the best perimeter defender. At Tennessee, he's up at the, he's in the top five. I mean, J.P. Prince was a lockdown defender.
3: Um, he was very, very good.
4: Liability um, on offense, though.
3: Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, so I, I've, I've changed directions a little bit. So I, I want to get into this Jeremy Pruitt thing. So this continues to go on, and it's now been two years since this NCAA investigation began and a write-up by Adam Sparks of the Knoxville News Sentinel as to why, and I want to get into that. But the backdrop of Tennessee having a player who's not able to participate in this weekend's baseball series, and he's been on campus since August, um, I I think when it's all said and done – You're just talking about the NCAA being an incredibly inefficient uh, organization is is the bottom line. And I think we'll come back to that after we hash some of these things out. But as far as Jeremy Pruitt, and this continues to go on, let me tell you what I've been told. So the reason, part of the reason this is drug on as long as it has is because Tennessee was close to being willing to wrap it up in during the beginning of the football season then they realize suddenly that hey this football team's pretty good it could be in postseason play so the last thing you want at that point is a postseason ban because you don't want to be in selected at the college football playoff now nobody thinks this is going to happen at ut but it's better to be safe than sorry so that is part of the reason I was told that this has been drug out. So uh, Adam with the Knoxville News Sentinel didn't really reveal any news, just kind of a, a get you up to date thing. But this has drug on for two years. Don't think for a second that recruiters for opposing schools aren't continuing to bring this up because they are. I can promise you that. But what do you make of, of, The amount of time this is taking, Caleb, and does that mean Tennessee fans should be any more or less concerned because it's going on for so long?
4: I think to cover their bases and be absolutely sure, I think the reason this drug out – so Tennessee, like you said, extended the deadline. The NCAA has now passed their deadline when they were supposed to respond because they were supposed to in January. It sounds more so because of, I guess, client versus NCAA privilege that there were some negotiations going on behind the scenes – my read into it is that the biggest one is Tennessee is actually still the reason it's being drugged out because they're fighting one thing the NCAA is trying to accuse them of, which is part of the NCAA's like I guess report is there was a lack of oversight by the university and the university is trying to claim no wrongdoing and According to this report, basically, that we read today, it sounds like their evidence for that is that Jeremy Pruitt's wife, Casey Pruitt, was involved in some of the recruiting shenanigans. And because Casey Pruitt was not a university employee, they could sit there and say, well, she wasn't part of our, she wasn't within our oversight range. So whatever she did, we can't be held responsible for.
3: Well, and maybe Jeremy Pruitt knew that. He doesn't seem like the brightest person in the world, so he probably didn't. But uh, maybe he just needed somebody to run some cash over to a prospect. I don't agree with that logic at all. I think you could have a lack of institutional control, which would be the most serious charge against Tennessee. The rest of them were very manageable. But I think you could have a lack of institutional control, and in whether or not she's involved or not, it doesn't matter one iota. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think the NCAA has – any teeth I don't think anything significant is going to happen to Tennessee so I'm saying that first right Caleb I'm on the record but do I think there was a lack of institutional control which is the type of thing that could affect this program moving forward and not just punish those previously heck yeah heck yeah I think there was a lack of institutional control Philip Fulmer was the athletic director he's not been has not been involved by any allegations However, did he look the other way because he wanted things to work out? I've been led to believe that. So that's lack of institutional control in and of itself. The fact that he wasn't included in any of these allegations is a good thing for Tennessee. And I think they dodged a bullet there. But if you want to, if it's lack of institutional control and you got like five coaches, you've got a couple of personnel guys, and you've got a, a coach's wife. And that, to me, is the definition of lack of institutional control. All that being said, I don't think the NCAA, NCAA has teeth to punish them. But I don't see how you can look at something that widespread
4: and it not be lack of institutional control by definition. Dave, I got a question. This came to my mind because you're right. It's obvious former was looking the other way, maybe because he wasn't a guy cut out for an athletic director job. Like we've talked about, you need administrators. and yeah. I wonder if this is hurting Tennessee. They fired Jimmy Pruitt and the assistant coaches for calls, as they should have. They allowed Philip Fulmer to ceremonially retire, and I think he still doesn't. He still get a severance package for his retirement. Or just maybe, maybe they're in a little bit of trouble because they should have thrown Fulmer under the bus the way yeah, they got. I think he got, got like
3: a three hundred and fifty grand buyout.
4: Yeah. Maybe they should have come down as hard on Philip Fulmer as they did on Pruitt. They didn't want to because of Fulmer, what Fulmer meant to the university's football program. But, I mean, I think they might have had to do that. Do you wonder if that's working against them a little bit on this? That they let Fulmer – they threw Pruitt under the bus. But we're going to let Fulmer walk away with this, you know, retirement package and ceremonially retire and not humiliate him because we like him too much because of what he's meant to the university, even though in this capacity – he was a let's call it what it is. As an athletic director, he was an abject failure, just an abject oh, failure. Yeah.
3: If you're asking me, is would it been, would it have been better to absolutely hammer Philip Fulmer publicly? Yes, it would have. But I also understand all that he's done for the university. So even though he's, he's made some very bad missteps in his career, I wouldn't let those missteps define him. I'm close. But I wouldn't quite let, I wouldn't let those define them. J-Max said Pruitt and every one of the staff who committed those violations should be, have been heavily fined, immediately suspended from coaching without pay, and banned from coaching for a certain amount of years. Now, I agree with all of that. And I will say this uh, along J-Max's uh, line of thinking. It makes no sense to punish the incoming football staff who did absolutely nothing when it was the previous staff committed the violations, punished the outgoing previous staff, not the incoming one. Totally, totally agree with that. And you're also talking about not only a change in head coach, athletic director, complete administration from the top up president of the university. So this is a completely different group. What does it say about the severity of the allegations that Jeremy Pruitt has now found a home in college football again, because I didn't think that he would ever, ever, ever be back in uh, college football. So uh, now, what's that? Has he? Well, I mean, there's, there's talk by Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports that, Uh, Alabama coach Nick Saban has reached out to Jeremy Pruitt um, and had reached out to him for the defensive coordinator uh, position at one point. The fact that he is reaching out to him, does that say that Nick Saban believes that these allegations aren't that serious? Because I thought Jeremy Pruitt, enjoy the NFL. You're still going to make three or four hundred thousand dollars a year, but your time in college is over. But there's there's been some contact, so it makes me wonder if you're a Tennessee fan or you're looking at Nick Saban, who's kind of the czar of college football on that level, and if he's reaching out to Pruitt. But I could take that a step further. You didn't hire Pruitt, so I mean, I'm I'm asking you. I, I don't I don't know exactly what that means that Pruitt was in contact. Maybe it means they didn't hire him because. Um, he was going to get a, a show cause and by the way, the way a show cause works you don't ban coaches from coaching in college but what happens is you can hire them and then you have to show cause that they won't do anything wrong or why they had a misstep previously so that you can hire them so they don't get banned but it is another step and yeah you know, it's it's a pain in the rear to be quite honest with you and Jeremy Pruitt, why wouldn't you just go get somebody else? I just thought it was really interesting that uh, they did reach out to Pruitt to replace Pete Golding, according to Dennis Dodd of CBS sports. What does that tell you about Tennessee's investigation?
4: Well, let's not, let's not, we got to think about timelines here because a lot of this comes with timelines. Pruitt. The report that Saban reached out to Pruitt, it came out on January the 30th, I believe. Right. Um we were all led to believe the investigation was going to be wrapped up at the end of January. Probably Nick Saban believed that. And if, my, if, if I'm reading into this, my, I'm reading into it that he reached out to Pruitt just to say, Hey, maybe I'll give you a shot. I'm about to find out in two days whether or not you you have a show calls. And then it got pushed back two weeks or now three weeks or whatever we're into February. And at that point, Saban had to make the decision to go hire Kevin Steele. It could just be something as simple as, Hey, Look, you're about to, we're about to find out if you, are, if you don't have a show calls, are you interested in the decor position at Alabama? It could be that. I do want to ask one question, though, because everybody says, you know, you shouldn't punish a team for previous players and coaches and things like that. And we all agree that was a dumb thing the NCAA had been doing for decades. I question of all fans who care about history and legacy of Tennessee football. Given that principle, are you willing to surrender the 1990 SEC championship to Steve Spurrier in Florida. Florida finished ahead of Tennessee that year, but they were on probation because of something that had happened four years before. And if you ask Spurrier, he will tell you all the time that 1990 team got robbed, and that was his favorite team. Are you willing to surrender one, another SEC title to Florida on principle?
3: <laughs> no, I don't I don't think they are. Um, with, with Pruitt not getting that job, listen, Nick Saban can – Call up Greg Sankey at any point, okay? He can get the inside scoop. The fact that he was contacted and not hired makes me think that it's going to be pretty tough on Jeremy Pruitt. Because I'll go ahead and tell you, you know, I'm not a big fan of Bullethead. I wasn't when he was hired, and I will tell you that with
4: that was his name.
3: Yeah, that's that's the nickname I came up with him for. So, but Jeremy Pruitt's a better hire than Kevin Steele. Hands down, and and I'm going to tell you why. It's not an X's and O's thing. Because Nick Saban is going to handle the X's and O's on defense. And Jeremy Pruitt is a very, very good recruiter. So Kevin Steele is a good recruiter. Jeremy Pruitt is a very good recruiter. So there's a reason that he reached out to Jeremy Pruitt. There's also a reason he gave it to Kevin Steele instead of Jeremy Pruitt. Do I know why? No, I'm not going to pretend to tell you why. But I would wonder if it's Nick Saban thinks that he's going to get hammered. Jeremy Pruitt is by the NCAA. Portions of the program brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning, cityheatandair.com. Integrity matters. It's getting that time of year where it's going to warm up and some of those HVAC units out there are going to crash. I promise you that. You may not need a whole new unit. City heating and air conditioning will tell you if you do, and they can save you some money as well. Tennessee, with their fourth commitment of the 2024 class on Saturday, Marcus Gorey Jr. announced he will be committing to Tennessee's football team. Gorey chose Tennessee over a finalist of Colorado, who is offering everybody with Deon Sanders, Michigan, Michigan State, and Nebraska out of Bradley Central High School in Cleveland, Tennessee. It is uh, a significant pickup, It's just a three-star, but you don't want to lose a guy in your backyard. Six-foot, 170-pound cornerback, 56 tackles, 11 for a loss, two picks, a sack, and a forced fumble. So he joins a four-star athlete, Jordan Eccles, a four-star cornerback, uh, Caleb Beasley, and three-star defensive lineman, Carson Gentle, who plays like a maniac as 2024 a commitment so your thoughts on the pickup of 40 jr over the weekend who announced his commitment of a very peculiar time it's saturday night at 9 30 i believe
4: just to yeah. keep us
1: <laughs> on our toes.
4: so i mean you know up to 6-1 as a safety um sounds like uh by the way a lot of this i'm getting from a our own Caleb Jaru, who does an amazing job recruiting. I just want to plug him every chance I get because you guys should all read the stuff he does on our site. He's amazing. Um, sounds like the talk with him is that the sample size of him as a cornerback or as a defensive back is limited. Sounds like he's very good at covering possession and tight ends, possession receivers and tight ends, you know, kind of more physical receivers. His ability to cover guys in the slot, which are the speedier players and which is what safeties are typically asked to do is up in the air, uh, according to these reports. So Dave, is that a red flag or would you rather it be that or would you rather it be the other way if you're getting a defensive back going into college? Would
3: I rather him be projected? I ask that question again. I'm not sure. Would you, I so the,
4: the, the scouting report on him, and this is Caleb Jaru, who is uh, citing a uh, 247 sports reporter, um, saying is that, he has demonstrated a good job at covering physical receive, like possession receivers and mm-hmm. tight ends.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: He hasn't shown any ability. They haven't even tried to put him on a slot receiver yet. Now I feel like as a safety, you usually guard the slot receiver more than you guard possession receivers. Am I right? Yes.
3: Yes. You're absolutely right. I, I think this will answer your question. I'd rather have the guy who's a natural corner that I could move to safety. And I'm going to reference our guy Fred White again. Fred White, when he showed up to Tennessee, you think of him as a big bulky safety, right? Right. Okay. Right. He wasn't that when he showed up to Tennessee. When he showed up to Tennessee, he ran the second fastest time in the 100 meters at Georgia, 10.21, I believe, in high school. And they immediately, when they saw they had so much depth at cornerback, they said, can you put on weight and play safety? And he said, absolutely, I can new viewers on board, please hit the thumbs up like button. We appreciate it. So I would rather have the Fred whites of the world that could show up and play safety. And you say, Whoa, you have a bigger frame. Let's make you, I'm sorry. Show up and play corner, show up and play corner. Say, Whoa, you have a bigger frame. Let's move you to safety. I'd rather have that guy. And this guy sounds like that guy.
4: Okay. Yeah. He's, technically listed as a safety on rivals but you're right he sounds more like a corner the way he's described being able to guard possession receivers so um sounds like his you know he it's hard with him because his measurables and his and his size haven't fully developed yet and people don't know where that's going to be that's why he's a three-star so he's one of those you could see transition to a four-star next year although him committing to Tennessee could also have him transition to a four-star given the politics of recruiting rankings.
3: Well, and he's the type of guy in Cleveland that's just down the road. So you wouldn't want him to get away to Michigan, especially with the transfer portal. Now the transfer portal takes coaches out of tough positions like this. Cause let's say Tennessee was 50, 50 on this, this guy. And, You got Michigan coming in with offers, Colorado, all these other schools. So you suddenly have to make a call, right? You've got to say I'm offering or not, or he's going to go somewhere else and I'm going to lose out on it. Well, with the transfer portal, go ahead and take it. And then if he can't play, put your arm around him and say, son, I think that uh, there might be a better option for you elsewhere. This is happening. I had a player reach out to me that was on Tennessee's roster and said, I heard you talking about players if they were asked to leave. And I'm just going to tell you, I I still love the university, and I don't want to uh, besmirch them in any way. But, yes, I was asked to leave. That's college football nowadays. So it's kind of like you passed up a long two, a mid-range two-point shot, and you take it to the rack and you hope you get an and one. So that's what they're hoping for. They get a really good player. But at the end of the day, it's not like it takes up a scholarship for the next guaranteed five years. Kids are getting paid now. Kids can transfer. You put your arm around them. You say, buddy, I love you. I just don't think this is the best fit for you. I think it's completely changed recruiting. So if they're 50-50 on him at all, and nobody's told me that, but he's not a highly touted player, then – yeah, t- take him and make sure he doesn't go elsewhere because you have the in-state tie.
4: Yeah, I agree. I think that's a smart move. And for people that's complaining, that want to complain about the politics of coaches doing that, I mean, this is the give and take of players getting paid, which I'm for, and players being allowed to transfer wherever they want and not honor their commitment. And it, I think they should be allowed to do that too. But if they're allowed to do that, then you, ca- you can't complain if coaches and universities don't want to honor their commitment and their side of it. So... It's you're
3: from from Memphis and Mm -hmm. the common thread among Memphis high school coaches is that Tennessee just didn't offer their guys in Memphis. And it really bothered a lot of Memphis coaches and it further drove a wedge between UT and Memphis prospects. I'll give you another one. Patrick Willis, who's going to go into the hall of fame. That's a guy who John Chavis didn't think was fast enough to play on Tennessee's defense. So he caught all kinds of heat because that was an in-state guy. Back then, before transfers and you could transfer freely and before you're getting paid and all that, which you and I are both proponents of, back then, if you didn't take an in-state guy that had offers from every other SEC school, as Patrick Willis almost did, at least Ole Miss, then you were looked at as you're not giving the in-state guy a chance. My argument to that was I defended Chavis, even though he he wasn't a big Dave Hooker fan. I defended Chavis because I think you got to take who fits your scheme. I thought he missed on Patrick Willis, and obviously he did. But to me, it doesn't matter if you're in-state or not. So if there's a Jonathan Crompton right across the border and he's technically North Carolina, do you lean towards a B.J. Coleman because he's in-state who has less talent? I don't think so.
4: Yeah, I still question if B.J. Coleman had less talent, though. I mean, he got stuck with – I feel like if B.J. Coleman got to be touched by David Cuckliffe, I mean, that dude had a cannon for an arm.
3: David loved and, B.J. Yeah. Had David stayed, I, I believe it would have been B.J.'s job over Crompton, I'll but Lane that- came out and immediately said that Crompton was going to be the star. Go ahead.
4: Yeah. I'll say this. UT had one pipeline into Memphis, and that was Orange Mound, Melrose, which was where Cedric Wilson, Andre Lott, and Andre Dickerson all, all came out of. Um, that was the one school they had. They were, they were the premier football school. It was in a really rough part of town, and they churned out football talent like nobody's business. But you're right. The rest of the city – and it's funny you say that because Pruitt got a lot of flack for not focusing as heavily on in-state, particularly Nashville kids. And I know somebody who told me that Pruitt told him off the record – I I hate to be prideful of my hometown, but basically Pruitt said the only part of the state that really has good football is Memphis. And it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to recruit those kids because other schools are fighting for them. And it turned out to be right because I've been saying this for years. Nashville kids are super overrated football wise. They are so over recruited, overhyped in their star ratings. If you look at their production in college.
3: Yeah. I think at some point just the numbers are going to get to this critical mass point where you've got so many that they're going to produce ten high-level prospects each and every year, which are probably pretty close to that. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, they haven't gone on and and done tremendously well.
4: I so, think Jackson has better talent historically than Nashville. Jackson's been like loaded with some talent. Yeah, the only thing i Wilson, the only thing two tall Jones is from Jackson.
3: I did not know that. It's <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. All right, we'll close on a Cowboys note. I have a fantastic – we love the interaction on the message board, so uh, don't don't worry about work. If you're at work, just go ahead and engage with us. We appreciate that. And for Caleb Calhoun, I'm Dave Hooker. We're with you each and every weekday. Download the app, Off the Hook Sports. We'll talk to you tomorrow, and that should be fun. A special guest, I'm sure. Have a fantastic day, everyone